I'm going to read from John chapter 4, verse 27. John chapter 4, verse 27. Following. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him, Jesus, talking with a woman. This is the woman at the well. He's just met her. He's been traveling through Samaria and uh, he's tired and he sits at a well and this woman comes up in the middle of the day and uh, he asks her for water and then he tells her uh, things about herself that amazes her and really says to her that he is the Messiah. And she's rushed off to town to tell everybody that there's this guy that's told her everything uh, that there is to tell about her and she's amazed and she's bringing people. Now the disciples have come back to Jesus and the woman's gone. And uh, leaving the water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows, another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. So Father, as we open your word this morning and as we think about grace and your love unconditionally for us, uh, we pray that you will uh, reveal something new of that grace today that would encourage us, that would set us free to believe what we don't yet see and to receive what you have already given. That Jesus would be alive among us and in us and in our relationships and in this valley with greater power because of your love shining in us and through us. In your name we pray, Father. Amen. So one of the worst memories of my life, and there are many, um, you meant to kind of go evoke something. Not indifference. You know, go, oh, shame or uh, oh, whatever. Anyway, should we try that again? Okay, I can't remember what I said. I remember as a little boy of about 10 uh, in Cape Town at school, and it's a nightmare for some children where you go out onto the playground at the break time and they, you're going to play a game and they decide to choose who's going to be on which side. So they take the two most popular guys around and they say, okay, you pick a team and you pick a team and the group who wants to play stands there. And they pick Joe and they pick so-and-so and, and, you know, it's getting worse and worse because you're not getting picked and eventually they say, all right, you take Cox and I'll take Jack. You know that, that, am I going to be picked? Am I going to be? And then am I going to be humiliated because I'm not? Anybody had that kind of experience? It'll damage you for life, doesn't it? We'll pray for healings for that in a minute. Well, the good news is that grace is about God speaking to us when we're on that place and he picks us first. It's exactly the opposite. 
that our fear is that when we come before God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, they're going to look and scuff their feet and look at the ground and go, oh my, now what do we say to them? And what he's going to say is, I choose you. And if we actually can get hold of that, it'll change our lives. Not in our heads, but in our hearts. And most of what Christianity is about is a learning how to walk into that. What is it to be the Father's favorite? What is it to understand that there is absolutely nothing in your life right now that he is disillusioned about, disappointed about, or goes, I really can't deal with that. There is nothing that you do that causes him to look away and go, I don't love you anymore. And grace is about understanding that. It's really, really simple. Grace is about understanding that you and I are chosen by God the Father without reservation, without condition, without qualification, unreservedly, every single moment of every single day. So you can go to sleep now because that's really all I'm talking about for the rest of the morning. God loved us first. I should do what Winston Churchill did when he did that school thing, you know. What did he say? He, he gave this talk. It was only two, never give up, never give up, never, something like that, and he just sat down. And everybody's talked about that for the last 50 years. Some of you are saying, why didn't you try it? <laughs> God loved us first. Gene, do you think we can get this PowerPoint working, or do you think we're going to have another difficult relationship? <laughs> Next one, please. I got a lot of trouble to make this simple. <laughs> it's not fair for you to be put on the spot, I know that. Did you call, did you bring, are you, eh? Okay. Somehow we've got to get this thing sorted out. Is it, where is this? Okay, well, we won't use it. Somehow we've got to work out how to do these technology things because we're going to be using them. That's all right. Relax. What basically is it? Just a, it's just trying to keep it simple. It's got grace spelt out for you. G-R-A-C-E. You see, that was grace at work. Right? Wasn't it, Jean? Did you feel graced upon? Or disgraced? I'm not sure. Okay, grace is what we're talking about, but that's not the slide I wanted. <laughs> I actually wanted the other slide. Can you get to the other slide now that you've worked on how to work it? Okay, click it. Okay, in the beginning, God created Adam. That's where I want to be. All right, we're on a roll. God created Adam, right? It was God's idea. God started it. I like walking around. I'm going to get one of those countrymen ones, then I'm going to walk all over the place. Um, God, God created Adam and Eve. It was God's idea. This is really, really important. All I'm trying to get through right now is it was God's idea. You and I are God's idea. Because we live in a culture that thinks everything starts with us. I come to an awareness of God and suddenly now everything... No, 
I come to an awareness of God's awareness. It doesn't start with me, it starts with him. That's how grace starts. But So Adam, Adam and Eve ate the fruit and they fell. They were separated from God, click please, and they fell. You see? This is powerful. And then they fell again, do another one, because both of them fell. And the rest of the human race, for the rest of life, was like walking on all fours. They had never seen anybody. We had never seen, that is us, we had never seen anybody standing upright. The result of separation from God was that what we experienced in this world was the fallen kingdom, was the kingdom that it was not what God had intended, but was what happened after there was rebellion and disbelief and all that stuff, which you know, right? Thank you, Leoba. You're welcome. Okay, we've got something. Right, so then what happens? Into this broken world where we're living on all fours saying we are the center of the jungle, Jesus comes. Thank you. Very good, Gene. And that's, Jesus is also called by Paul the second Adam, right? You've done that in your studies, haven't you, David? Yeah. Second Adam. Adam Mark 2. He is the first guy since Adam out of Eden who basically stood up and said, this is who God created you to be. This is stuff most of us know, I think. And people saw Jesus and they saw the Spirit of God working in Jesus and through Jesus. The same guy. I mean, you cut Jesus, he bleeds. You trip him up, he falls. You smack him, he, he hurts. He sees people not coming to him, he cries. I mean, it's the same guy and the same stuff that we've got. But within him there's something different and that is the love and the power and the grace of God living in him quite uniquely. And so he attracts people and they follow him and he speaks to them and he heals them. He reverses, he flips the kingdoms, he brings the kingdom of God in, he kicks the kingdom of darkness out, he shows the rule of God the Father and he shows the defeat of the prince of darkness, Satan. It's a cool fight, which he wins. So... Let's see what happens. Another one, please. Because we've got to have a cross. There we go. So Jesus goes to the cross and he basically... um, Adam could not die for our sin because he was a human being. He could only die. That's why they had the sacrificial system. I'm tempted to stop and explain everything, but that would be... We would be here a long time. But basically what Jesus was doing on the cross was undoing what Adam did in Eden. When God said to Adam, if you eat of this fruit, you will be separated from me, you must die. What Jesus did was say, I will take the rebellion of Adam on myself and reverse. I'll meet God's justice and his love. And so on the cross, Jesus paid the penalty for the sin of Adam and for the sin of all of us, right? He, then, he, was then, he died, he, was, he ascended into heaven. That's the next one. See, that's him going up. And once he was in heaven, or... He went three days somewhere else, which we're not really told about, but you'll, have, you'll find somebody who will give you a really solid teaching on it. Don't trust it. But anyway, uh, Christians have this wonderful, uh, you know, uh, I'm getting on a tangent here, totally irrelevant. This wonderful fixation of trying to get very specific about the things God hasn't told us. Anyway, three days later, no, no that, actually that's wrong, isn't it? Uh, he ascended. And then sometime later, six weeks later actually, he sent up the Holy Spirit, which is the power of God, to fill, do you want to just keep clicking for a while, to fill these guys, which were the disciples basically. Once the disciples were being filled with the Spirit, they got up on their pins, there are three of them. There you go, stop. 
The disciples became little Jesuses, basically. They had the Jesus living in them by the power of the Spirit. They were the same as you and me, but because Jesus had died on the cross and, and opened up the door to the kingdom, he basically opened up the way for people who, between Adam and Jesus, they could not get the Spirit in that way. It was only fell on the, on the prophets. They fell on individuals. That is why, brothers and sisters, no Christian today can start saying, I am a prophet exclusively. It's Old Testament teaching broken down by Jesus on the cross. Now the Holy Spirit is poured out for you and your children. It means all of us, which is really cool because it means, you see, someone like me can say, you can do it. And you can't go, oh no, but you, you're special. And you know by now I'm not. So therefore, it's available to everybody. And the Holy Spirit was poured out over these disciples who had totally screwed up. And filled them up. Now you see, you, you, shouldn't, have, you shouldn't have done that. But that is, that is actually grace at work. Um, grace is those red bulls. Grace is about, every one of those red ones is what God did. God created Adam, God sent Jesus, God, God went to the cross, God sent his spirit, God filled his disciples up. That is grace. Grace is God. In us, around us, working through us. That's why Paul says, we are earthen vessels, we are jars of clay, we cannot do anything, apart from him we can do nothing. Which kind of means that all our excuses are blown out of the ground, right? Because all our disclaimers are saying, I can't do that, God says, well I know. That's why Jesus came and that's why I've given you power by the Spirit. So what happens is that it really is a question of day by day deciding who we're going to serve and how we're going to live. Now you look at that passage that um, we read from, from John. And the disciples came back and did you see the contrast? He's just sort of totally uh, surprised and astounded this woman. And the disciples are sort of fixated on feeding him. And he has some food, Jesus, has some food. And he says, no, my food is actually to do this, not that. And they, they, they so struggle to get it. They're so like us. They, didn't, they were living on a different plane, a different realm. And Jesus was continually trying to open their eyes to say, don't just look at the physical food. Look at what's happening in the person. And so you have that contrast. And he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Could be a good diet program, that. Well, food is a substitute for so much, isn't it? Eating is a substitute. It's, it's, it's what's it? Comfort behavior. Think about that. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be given to you. Come to Jesus with your life, with your addictions. Start telling him about them. He doesn't condemn you. And see how grace works itself out. That might be a word for somebody, I don't know, because it certainly wasn't in my notes. But Jesus said this, and he says to them, he said, you know, I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work. You reap the benefits of their labor. And I believe that's how the Lord very often, well, does want us to, to live. With an understanding 
that when things work because of what we have done, either in somebody's life or in our own lives, it's often because of other things beyond ourselves. God loves humility. He loves a person who is living with a great sense of gratitude and a great sense of awareness that without him and others, I am nothing. That's not depression. That's just calling a spade a spade. And there is freedom in that. And grace is about that guy from Switchfoot, the foundation out of which I live. Grace is about realizing that nothing I have is because I deserve it. I don't deserve to live in a country where there is peace. I don't deserve to live in a place where I can have a pension. I don't deserve to live in a country where I have the privilege of retirement. There are many, many things we do not deserve. And God's uh, great uh, concern for us is that our characters would be such that we would grace others with the grace we've been graced with. The world is hungry for that, aren't they? Aren't we? I mean, we could make each other cry very easily. All we, all we need to do is to bring one person up at a time and spend five minutes blessing them. Speaking words of encouragement, love, hope, joy, peace and kindness over them. Every single one of us would be in tears. Because it is the cry of our hearts and we don't hear it very much. That is grace. Grace is the love of the Father in us and around us, day by day, moment by moment. And you can't give away what you don't have. What is a rose? What do you think of when I mention the word rose? If you think of thorns, you need ministry. <laughs> what do you think of? Sweet perfume. Sweet perfume. Smell, fragrance. When you have a rose, you think of the fragrance. When you speak about Jesus, the fragrance is grace. It should be. You think about those who follow Jesus, the fragrance should be grace. But you can't have the grace without the presence. So if I had a photograph of a rose here, you would all say, well, that's a rose. And if I was giving out photographs or roses or living roses, which would you prefer? The one you get the picture, the other get the fragrance. The reason why many people are not very excited about Jesus is because we present very often pictures of Jesus, not the fragrance of Jesus. You see, the, the picture looks like the real thing. And the Christian can look like the real thing, but it's the dare I say it, body odor. It's the fragrance of the Christian. And the only way, way to deal with spiritual body odor is at the cross. I haven't thought of this either until right now, so just go with it. <laughs> but it makes sense. Some of you are going, yuck. Yeah, well, that's what people do around you when you call themselves, yourself a Christian and you don't show the love of Jesus. That's what we do to one another. Quietly, privately, whatever. We don't extend grace because we haven't received grace. 
That's why Jesus said to his disciples, you wait in Jerusalem until you're filled with power. Many of us are not effective in our Christian lives because we have no power, because we don't stay, we don't live in the relationship with Jesus where his presence gives us the power. There's no shortcuts. Grace is amazing, but there are no shortcuts. And you can't fake it. You've either had a shower or you haven't. And grace is God's gift. You won't forget the imagery, will you? Which is good. Let's go on to that next slide, please. So this is the one with uh, amazing grace. Let's start with, just very simply, grace starts with God, which is what I've been talking about for the last 15 minutes. Grace starts with God, it's his idea, and he says, this is what I want to give you. Have you ever given somebody a present and they didn't want it? I have. And, and, and it's, it's sad because you want to give it and it's rejected. Well, every time we say no to God's love, that's what he feels. He feels the same disappointment because he's given it to you because he, he loves you. But grace is embraced by God's giving and him embracing on either end of grace is God and his embrace. He embraces us in Jesus. He embraces us in his community. He embraces us. Can you do the next one? Because that's what I'm, yeah, embrace. Uh, oh, Jean, that's beautiful. Don't worry about it, you know. <laughs> um, grace does its own thing. God is not a picture, he's a presence and a fragrance. Ritual, religious ritual, is what turns people off. People, the world is hungry, hungry, hungry for um, the real thing. You might have, uh, I sent a copy, a notification to Oprah that my book is out. So I'm, I'm waiting for a phone call. <laughs> She's, she's at the moment marketing and working with a guy called Eckhart Tolle who's got a book out called what is it? New Earth. Earth. Three and a half million copies went out of Vancouver in the last four weeks since Oprah said she thought this was a good idea. People are very hungry. They'll eat anything. And I would, I'm recording this, so I'm not sure what to say right now. I think it's like sawdust. I think it's like this, you teach but you don't refer to God. God becomes your inner being, your divine inner self. It's not Jesus. And what I'm saying is if people are hungry for that, how much more is available in Jesus? But why? Why is Oprah going with that teaching. Because there have been photographs of the religion for years in America and so little of the sacrificial love of the living Father. I feel like Paul standing on Mars Hill outside Athens and they've got all these uh, captions to the unknown gods and saying, uh, you worship this unknown God and I proclaim to you Jesus who is the God revealed in human form. That's what people are looking for, grace in human form, and they're going to find it through you and through me.
That's what we're called to. So God, it starts with God, it, it moves through relationship, relationship with God through Jesus, through no one else. Not through your neighbor, not through your spouse, not through your children. You meeting Jesus and Jesus meeting you. Understanding that you're accepted. You're accepted totally where you are right now. Because we need Jesus to help us change into what is not acceptable right now. You know, the unacceptable parts of us need the Spirit of God to help us change. It's no use trying to clean yourself up to come to Jesus. So he accepts us where we are. And then, what's the last one? Um, I think, what did I say here? Child. It's the, it's the child dependency. It's actually living as a child of the Father, no matter how old we are. Many of us need to be children. Many of us need to allow him to awaken that again. It's that dependency, it's that innocence, it's that expectancy. The only reason we don't see more healing is we're so cynical, we're so full of our stuff. We're so used to being wounded, we actually start liking the wounds. That's how sick we are. And grace is about saying, no, there's more. Learn. If God wants us to grow with him and be the father-child relationship, he wants to speak to us. We've been talking about that too. And he speaks words to us of encouragement. That's what his spirit is for. His spirit is to breathe into our present day truths about our lives and where he wants to lead us uh, that will help us fulfill what we read in the scriptures. It's called relationship. Which means he speaks, and he speaks much more than we think he does. I'm going to to see if this thing works. What I've done is um, taken a clip out of a prophetic word that was spoken over me um, by a woman called Janice Sini at the Graham Cook Conference in October last year that some of us went to. I'm, I'm playing it for a very simple reason, to give you an illustration of what it sounds like. Janice Sini is, is, has spent 30 years probably in prophetic ministry. I was hoping to have her up here with David Shadbolt sometime in these months, but I think it's going to probably be next year. I don't know. Uh, but she she's, runs a school uh, for, prophetic, uh, for, for prophetic teaching. And David and I had supper with her, and I, I think we hounded her around for prophetic words for the whole group that went down there. And then I said, well, Janice, what about me? You know, because... And what they're demonstrating, because the first time I heard it, I said to David Shadbold, I said, this is fortune telling. What is this going on? Because they just say, anybody who wants to go up and get some words. And he said, no, they're not, it's not fortune telling. It's, it's showing you that God's really talkative and he knows you very intimately. It made sense to me. And the other thing is that fortune telling is telling you what's going to happen in the future and it binds you. These words are the Father speaking to your spirit, saying, this is what I see and this is what I intend for you. It won't come true unless you walk into it. It's not fortune telling, it's just telling you what the heart of the Father has for you. And as you'll hear in this, he, you know, he was challenging me a little bit. But I don't know whether it'll work or not. It's, it's, it's in a crowded room and I don't know whether you'll be able to understand this. loading it's one way to God is stretching you he's challenging you he is uh, he's getting your 
your attention to tell you there's a, something different he's going to do, something new, something uh, from a different perspective, from a different angle. And it's like, just start looking, start investigating, start saying, God, is that you there? Is that you there? Is that you there? And he says, in due season, I'll make it clear to you. But right now, I'm challenging you. I'm stretching you. I'm causing your mind to think outside of the box so that when it comes across your path, you say, that's what you've been wanting me to see. Um, thank you, Lord. Um, I'm not sure about this. I could be wrong. But it's like somebody that's maybe considered to be important or maybe considered to have influence. It's like they're reaching over and messing in your stuff. It's like they got their hand off over here, but they're reaching over here and messing in your stuff. And in the name of Jesus, I'm telling them, get their hand out of your stuff in Jesus' name. God wants to be the influence. God wants to be the one that gives you favor. He'll send people who have the right to reach over and bless your stuff. That are people of influence, that are people of importance, and they will reach in and they will bless your things. They won't mess with them. They won't try to do it their way. They'll simply bless what God has His hand on you to do. Um, there's a shifting in your thinking God is doing. It's like shifting gears in a car. You can only go so far up that hill without shifting the gear. And you're at that place right now where you're kind of stalling out because you need to shift your thinking. And God is shifting your gears in your thinking. He says, no, you don't get to stall out. You don't get to roll back. You're going to shift the gear and you're going to go on up that hill. He says, don't talk to me about inability. Don't talk to me about failure. Don't talk to me about your weaknesses. He says, I stand in all of that for you. And I don't I don't put consequence on those that stuff because I'm big enough to take your life and cause you to go places you can't go, to cause you to be things that you never thought you could be, to cause you to accomplish things that you didn't think could be accomplished. And he says, so don't come to me and tell me about your failures and your inabilities. He says, you say yes to me, and you say, God, shift the gear. I'll keep going. Thank you so much. What I was most interested in you hearing was that don't come to me and tell me your weak stuff. You see, grace is about knowing the love of the Father. I mean, I could tell you a lot over the last three years of beginning. I'm going to sing you a song in a minute that, that is really my song responding to God's grace, which you've heard before, but it just seemed appropriate. Um, it's grace that will hold you when the circumstances don't look like they're gracious. I could spend quite a lot of time talking about the challenges of these last years where it hasn't felt that easy, where personally I've been at a place where I've had to say, Lord, I have nothing left. I have nothing left to say I'm holding on to this. And it didn't all turn out as I thought it would. And it's a lot of pain and a lot of sometimes barrenness and a lot of times where you go, why? And that's where grace in a relationship sustains you. I have spent many weeks here preaching the truth, not my experience. Speaking about what I believe God's saying, not what my experience is at the moment. And I believe very strongly that we have to learn to live there. 
to live in that place where we believe God for what we don't yet see and not be discouraged because that's actually normal. It's way more normal living in the normality of life in a somewhat extraordinary manner than it is about having these huge experiences all the time. If you're looking for spiritual experiences all the time, you'll exhaust yourself and you'll irritate everyone around you. On the other hand, I believe God's calling us to be a people where, I'm going to say at the communion time, uh, the leadership team that has been, we've been praying together at the um, council meetings, I'm saying to them, go to the back and if you want words like this, we're going to practice. That means the people who are going to pray for people are terrified that nothing's going to happen. And I say to them, nothing won't happen. If you don't get a picture or a word, then just bless what God's doing and relax. The only way you learn to listen is to, to, to relax. And the only way you learn to relax is being there. And saying, it's God, it's not me, so I'm just going to have to wait for this. God wants to speak words of every single one of us, just like that, often. Just like you talk to your children, often. We've got so religious, we think you come up and fill up on Sunday and then you make it through the week and you come back on Sunday. It's nonsense. It's nonsense. It should be whenever we gather together, we should be able to say, Lord, what are you saying for? How do we encourage one another? That's what this is about. That's what grace is about. Living under grace, day by day by day. There's lots of it. I think it runs out, you know. It's sort of meted out. It's not. There's lots. So I pray that, you, that God will encourage us this morning. That He has lots of things to say. The only thing that really makes the difference, like in any relationship, is if we receive it or not. I mean, he can give it to us, but if we don't take it, if we don't listen, if we don't press in and humble ourselves and say, please pray over me, if we don't do that, we will have nothing. Because God is about building our characters. And that means he's going to cause you to be humble, he's going to see how much you love stuff, and he's going to see whether you'll let it go. And he's going to say, how much do you love me? And you're going to be exposed, and he's going to say, grief, that's all? And you're going to have to go, yes. And he's going to have to say, well, I guess I better forgive you if you want forgiveness. And you're going to have to say, yeah, I don't even want to go further with you, but I sort of do, but I'm scared. And he's going to say, that's cool, let me hug you and let's work. It's, a sim- it's simple, simple stuff. In the West, we, 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 our securities are in our things. So God's going to be challenging us on some of our things. But it can be fun. Sort of. Okay, that's enough. I'm going to just say, uh, finish with Paul. It's, it's a wonderful passage in 2 Corinthians. Uh, 2 Corinthians 12. You know it well, I think. Verse 8. It's difficult to find 2 Corinthians 12 in 1 Corinthians. Paul, this is an encouragement to us, I think, which is, Paul, I mean, is a superstar in the Christian world. And he says, To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, it was given to me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. 
Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. And that's why he says, I delight in weakness, insults, hardships and persecutions, for when I am weak, then I am strong. And I would encourage each of us that if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to, be followed, you're going to follow him more and more deeply into an awareness of your own weakness. You're not going to walk into more and more self-sufficiency. You're going to walk into more and more of an awareness of how little you can do and how much he can do. If you walk into greater self-sufficiency, you're walking into religious spirits, not into the Spirit of God. And so, what do we do with this? I think we say, Lord, here I am. Uh, may I walk in your grace and will you, can I respond to where you are working now? That's the best way to go, is just say, Lord, what are you saying to me now? And then follow him. Instead of what we tend to do is say, this is what I want to do, this is how I want to do it, when I want to do it, I've already made your arrangements and I've invited the guests, now will you please bless it? And that's why God often doesn't, because he doesn't sort of get in on the action at the beginning.